know, we was having a ball, and you know, they asked me to get on the mic, and they asked me, can I kick it? Can I kick it? Yo guys, what's going on? Welcome back to the CW Clinic. My name is Chris. I'm your host. Episode 106 coming at you today. Today I have a special guest with me, someone who is going to enlighten and educate us all on how motivational states yield exercise and or movement of the human body. I'm really excited for this one given the fact that I have a subject matter expert here that not only is a PhD but is heavily educated in the fields more so than myself and I'm really looking forward to learning today. Episode 106 coming at you guys. This should be a good one. All right guys, welcome to the show. I have a special guest today here with me. My buddy I've known for 10 years, uh, his name is Matt Stoltz. He's a PhD. Uh, he works at Yale New Haven Hospital as an exercise physiologist with a PhD in kinesiology, by the way, of University of Texas. Mm -hmm. And what Matt does there is he works with patients post-surgery for the most part, if I'm not mistaken. Both before surgery and, and after surgery. Bariatric okay. surgery. So can you explain to us what bariatric surgery is? Maybe let's help everyone understand exactly what you do. And then we're going to talk about the motivational states of your patients. Sure. Uh, so bariatric surgery is a weight loss procedures. Uh, there are two major ones that, that we employ at Yale New Haven Hospital, both the gastric sleeve and the gastric bypass. Um, these surgeries help to both cause restriction so you're taking in less calories, you're taking in less food, uh, thus losing weight. And then the gastric bypass also results in malabsorption of nutrients. So again, you're, you're not taking in as many carbohydrates, you're not absorbing carbohydrates, you're losing weight really, really rapidly. Um, the surgery is very powerful effect. People lose a lot of weight really, really fast with bariatric surgery. A lot of people keep off a lot of weight for a really long time. Um, a lot of people don't realize is that there are two other major components to the bariatric surgery process. And one is a very strict diet, a very specific diet that they have to, uh, employ for a few weeks before the surgery, long-term after the surgery. Um, and then they need to move more. They need to exercise. Uh, the reason we have exercise physiologists and bariatric surgery programs is because exercise gets really complicated with bariatric surgery. Um, we want our patients to move more before the surgery. Um, but then they're on a diet, they're on lower calories. It makes it harder to move, of right? Course, like yeah. if, if you, if you've ever dieted and you're really low on carbohydrates, you know, like it dampens your motivation to exercise. Um, and then, uh, they have the surgery, they have to go through early ambulation 
after the surgery. And then there's this staged process by which they start exercising again. They start with walking. Uh, then they get two weeks clearance. They can exercise more vigorously. They can do uh, a different variety of exercise routines. And then the first six months of, of really focusing on cardio, um, incorporating some weight training, and then after six months. So there's, there's sort of stages, you could say, with exercise before, immediate, uh, immediately after the surgery, medium term after the surgery, and then long term. So uh, because it's complicated enough, uh, they, they have exercise physiologists. And so I help patients to move more and move safely before and after their surgeries. Interesting. So it sounds like it's a pretty, I don't want to say in, I don't know if the right word is invasive, but, and if it's not, please correct me, but it sounds like a very invasive surgery. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, we, we call it minimally invasive. Technically it's called minimally invasive because it's a laparoscopic procedure. So you have five to six tiny little incisions, mm. um, in your abdomen. Uh, yeah, there's a major cut to your, your stomach, uh, you know, well over half of your stomach is removed. And then if you're getting the bypass, then there's some rewiring of the intestines. So it's a, it's a major procedure, but it's minimally invasive. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, re- the recovery time is, is pretty fast. And I would say probably an average patient only takes like goes home with one uh, opioid uh, after surgery so it's not it's not an extremely painful procedure for the most part it's kind of like getting your gallbladder removed understood i think the primary emphasis on this discussion would be how you work with the individuals after their surgery Mm -hmm. if i'm not mistaken right okay so when these individual and I, I say individuals, should I call them patients? Yeah. Yeah. All right. They're patients. All right. So when these when your patients, okay, when you're working with your patients after their surgery, they're coming to you to understand how to exercise primarily. Mm-hmm. And you have to basically not only teach them how to exercise, but to really teach them how to look at the state of exercise in the depth of it fundamentally from the motivational standpoints. Yeah. Uh, a lot of what I do is motivating people. <laughs> so, you know, we, the, the, the term, I mean, exor- I'm motivated right now. <laughs> right. I kinda, can we go, can we just yeah. go work out? Uh, I think we should do the show first. Do the show. Yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> then we could go work out. Fine. If you I'll work out later. Right, um, yeah. So I'm an exercise physiologist, but you know, so there's that word, physiology, right? You think it's, it's all about the physiology, but a lot of exercise physiologists become, come into the profession and they soon realize probably just like yourself, that it's really more about the psychology and what's more about motivation than anything else. Right. You know, Absolutely. you know, you've been a, a trainer for a really long time and you know how it's, it's easy to work with certain clients, right? They're highly motivated. You know, they're ready to go. They get in the gym. They're ready oh, to yeah. do that first set. And you're almost just sort of like guiding them through a workout. And then there's other individuals, you've probably experienced this as well, where it's like almost painful, like you're, you're really trying to push or motivate a person and they're just not there, right? Of course. So I, I feel like the, the physiology I was able to get down pretty quickly and master, you know, uh, during my studies, but the psychology and actually motivating people uh, requires you to to know people, you know, and, and to know them as a person and to know how the mind works, or at least try to understand how the mind works. And uh, one of the problems with bariatric surgery is that it's stressful. A lot of people go into surgery, not, not realizing how, how stressful it is, how complicated it is, how many moving parts and components there is to the surgery. 
and they get wrapped up in, in all the aspects of the surgery, their, their life changes, the transition they're going to go to all the changes in their diet, their sleep, um, and their lifestyle. So I need to keep it as simple as possible for their exercise in order to motivate them just to do anything to move. And we provide them with a lot of education as well so that they can understand how to break it down easily and make it simple for themselves and make it manageable for mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, as a trainer, I mean, I don't actively train and I haven't in many, many years, but someone who's been around the environment of working with people in the gym setting as a trainer we would always think that the ideal client is the athlete mm -hmm. is the one that comes in and is just like just beat the shit out of me please right <laughs> which you may not experience to that capacity especially for the surgeries that they're going through however the psychology would probably be similar in the sense of i'm here i'm ready let's go and i take it as from what i'm picking up what you're putting down the majority of the people that you probably work with are the are the latter, are the opposite. They might be unmotivated primarily because of stress. Yeah. Um, Question mark. Yeah, you know, it's really funny. Like, we can actually take this back very personally because the reason we met, Chris, was yeah. actually I joined a gym. Educate them, Matt. And you are my trainer. Mm -hmm. That's actually how we met. And if you recall, uh, we had like 20 sessions or something like that. I think we did two sets of 10 pack uh, of 10. Um, you remember exactly what you paid for. I <laughs> Intriguing. I, I remember it. we did a set of 10 and then we did another set of 10. And then you kind of convinced me that maybe I should do a show. <laughs> and uh, as a way, you, you have a, a very way of convincing people to do things. Okay. okay. And so I got a little bit into that, but I had a very stressful event happen in my life. I don't know if you remember this, but my, my apartment flooded. I do remember this. Okay. And you were like arguably getting pretty shredded, if I recall. I was getting really shredded. Yes. I was on this, this amazing uh, shredding plan. I was, I was essentially carb cycling. Yes. Okay, so you had me on this car. You know, I, I wasn't even having an apple on certain days. <laughs> and I was doing cardio uh, really early in the morning, first thing. And I was, you know, I was shredding up really fast. But the problem is I sort of hit, I hit a wall because I had 15 inches of raw sewage in my apartment. Mm. And it's very, very difficult to focus on your training mm -hmm. when you have such a, like when you're surrounded by filth and you're basically living out of your car for a few days, then your landlord puts you up in his place. And I, I struggled through it and I, I kept with you for a few weeks. And then I told you, you know what? I just can't keep doing this training with you because I, I can't prioritize my exercise at all. I really need to just get my life back in order understandably was, <laughs> so, was i at least empathetic 10 years ago uh i yeah you were empathetic but i think it was hard for you to sort of see and understand and visualize like what it was like to have so much like a foot of raw sewage yeah and having to get the, i mean it's just hard for anybody yeah it's, unless you've lived in third world countries where it's kind of normal Right. Yeah. So I was, I was kind of freaking out. My, my mind was just shot. I could not focus on, I, I mean, like I could, I could exercise as stress relief. I was using exercise sure. as a stress relief, but I could, I wasn't getting any high quality training in because of just that, that tremendous life stress in my life, uh, at the time. And the funny thing is that I actually did a dissertation on the topic of stress 
after you flew? The, this was before. Oh, this okay. was before. So my, my PhD dissertation was on the effects of stress on exercise. Uh-huh. And so um, I knew a lot about stress because I studied stress. Um, what I didn't know so much about was how that stress really wrecks your motivation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, coming from someone who understands stress from having or had PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. I understand the concept of stress. Absolutely. And the external stress factors, say in your case of having shit in your apartment, which doesn't sound very appetizing to say the least, could definitely recourse your thought process and or become extraordinarily stressful. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, then uh, 10 years ago, was that 10 years ago? That was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Then I probably couldn't conceptualize like, putting myself in someone else's perspective of living in that. And I was probably like mostly disappointed because of how far you had come. Mm-hmm. Not that you were losing ground per se, but you were getting so close, right? Right. To the, to the goal that we had, right. The motivational goal that we had. And then all of a sudden something virtually life-changing, you know, happened at least to the way that you were living your life. Yeah, I mean, like one of the the biggest implications of of losing my apartment for three weeks as it was being cleaned up was I didn't have a kitchen. Yeah, you know, so we were on. You had me on this extremely regimented diet plan, but there was no way to how how do you measure your protein? Of course. <laughs> you know, how do right. you like like you know? I was struggling every day with okay, I'm going to go to the grocery store and get some food, but where where does that go? Like, what right. fridge is that going to go in? Right. Um, so, you know, training for competition requires, you know, you know, so much more than the exercise. I was still able to get to the gym and exercise. It was really interestingly, it was the diet plan that was just completely wrecked. And I was eating a couple meals a day in Cody, Cody's diner on water street in New Haven. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, during daylight hours, during daylight hours, mostly, but you know, they get, they get you, you know, you'd ask for an omelet, you try to make it as healthy as possible and like just very little cheese or whatever. I was trying to stick to the, to the diet plan. Of course, they always ask you, ask you, do you want some hash browns with it? You know, and when you're so really stressed out, there are days you're like, yeah, I want the hash rounds. Of course. But, you know, emotional eating. <laughs> so you have all this emotional eating. And so what I we're going back to this concept of motivation and what did I want? I, I found like well, under such high stress, there are certain things that suddenly I was very sensitive to that I wanted a lot, like carbohydrates. I really wanted carbohydrates considering your body naturally thrives off them yeah of course right because my body's in this like really highly stressed state. it needs energy right Mm -hmm. you know the whole point of stress is it's like it's a crisis of energy that's Mm -hmm. essentially what chronic stress is It's, it's it's a crisis of energy and so i think it's just very natural for the human mind to 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 seek for energy mm-hmm Right. So you're, you're looking for carbohydrates, but then you're kind of, you're minimizing energy too. So you're sleeping more, you know, I just found myself in my car during lunch break, just crashing, you know, for 30 minutes of sleeping in my car during lunch breaks. And, um, so that, that crisis of energy is, is pretty profound, especially like if you're training for a competition where it takes so much mental en- mental energy. Yeah. 
you know, you have to plan out your, your sort of like entire day. Well, I didn't have enough energy to plan out my entire day. I just had to plan, you know, where, where am I, where am I going to get my next meal? Like where, where am I going to sleep tonight? Yeah. <laughs> you know, are there going to be any, am I going to be surrounded by any sewage or bugs or anything like that? Not, not to mention mental energy. I mean, you were in a caloric deficit and for, I don't know exactly how long, but a good mm-hmm. period of time, which means that, you know, the glycogen levels with stored within your body, let alone your mind thriving off of it was compromised. Your, your thought process could have been slightly hindered given the fact that, you weren't starving, but you were on a diet. Right. I wasn't starving, but I was on a diet. And I mean, with the carb cycling, there were some days when there was a couple days a week, I think it was like almost on like no carbohydrates. Yeah. <laughs> like my Sundays were like, well? I mean, I don't know. There was, huh. there, there was like, yeah, I, I, I distinctly remember my Sundays were, were, were like one cut of cup of oatmeal was my, my entire carb intake for an entire Sunday or something okay, like that's that. That's about 45 grams of carbs plus you know, tag alongs. Yeah. So that was a very low carb day. Yeah. So yeah. I really, you know, so it was really, really difficult for me to, to manage. Don't recommend that. Don't do that. By the way, if you're listening, it's not going to solve your problems, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but that's what I was doing, <laughs> which is tough. Right. So you have this shit filled apartment. Mm-hmm. You, you decide that, uh, competing is no longer, in the in the deck for you in the cards for you i should say right where did that bring you you know it took me about a year to recover from that i mean another complicating factor was that i started a brand new job the day after the flood happened so i had a i had a new job my apartment's flooded i'm i'm living in my car in my my landlord's house because uh, he wasn't there at the time and um i mean I think I, I tried to hang on to the competition goal for about a week and then it just, and then I approached you and said, I just can't, I just can't, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And it took me over a year before I even would consider, you know, a competition again. And I actually haven't, you know, then I got involved with Spartan races and so on and so forth. And I did, I went a completely different direction. So you did your competitions just in a different format. Yep. Yeah. Did you enjoy the Spartan competitions? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a good distraction. It's a lot of fun. It's outdoors. Um, you're working out with other people. Yeah, sure. There's, there's a great social environment. Good, Mm -hmm. good. And then to kind of fast forward, we've always remained friends. Yeah. However, you reached out to me, what about six months ago? Maybe. Yeah. About six months ago at best. It was probably more like four or five, but I don't know the exact time frame. probably around the new year. Right. Right. And had some questions for me when it came to my perspective on health, if you will. Yep. And we started discussing this topic. Yes, because uh, I had just started publishing um, some some new articles on motivation around the same time. And you're known in the industry for your research. Yeah, my name gets thrown around a, a few times. Very modest of you. <laughs> Very modest of you. But basically, but mainly on my my research on stress. Right. So my dissertation was on the idea that uh, when you're highly stressed, it prolongs the recovery time. Of course. So my dissertation helped to prove this, that that high stress or chronic stress, enduring stress saps you of energy and it prolongs the recovery from vigorous, from vigorous exercise. Would that be the elevated cortisol production? So, yeah, I mean, that, that definitely is something that would first come to mind is, you know, elevations in, in glucocorticoids. Um, we actually measured inflammation, mm. inflammatory cytokines, 
And we found that people who are chronically stressed have like a blunted or dampened or, or less optimal production of inflammation, you know, so like, like an exhausted profile, you know, so when you're stressed for a really long time, sure, glucocorticoids, you know, cortisol, uh, inflammation, it can go higher, but eventually your body just can't keep producing it. It just exhausts and it just sort of drops again. Mm. Okay. So that's called like a, a blunted effect. So what we found is that people who are chronically stressed, they're, they're, they're always facing, um, you know, trials and tribulations in their lives. Their body just can't, it's not responsive. Let's mm-hmm. just say it just doesn't respond as well. Yeah. Okay. So, um, typically that means like not being able to work out as effectively, but what we showed in, in my dissertation is that even on days that you are able to work out effectively, you still have a longer recovery process because, because of the overall inflamed aspect of the state of mind and body the really sort of like the, yeah, inflamed, like it's chronically inflamed, just exhausted. Okay. So the exhaustion. Yeah, it's an, an exhaustion. The, stress, the exhaustion. The, the exhaustion okay. of the energy systems. Okay. Yeah. See, this is where this is where not only you guys might be learning. However, I'm learning. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm learning the scientific like uh, jargon when it comes to mm-hmm. your area of expertise. Like, I understand the concept. Like, I, I can understand the concept. The the micro aspect of it. Mm-hmm. This is really good articulation of exactly why you know people that i've worked with in the past even being a gym owner right Mm -hmm. having thousands of clients or customers what people that were heavily stressed i never really understood it to the depth that you're explaining it Mm -hmm. right now so that would really make sense that stress basically equals unmotivated action yeah i mean uh well and then it motivates other things so like unmotivated for physical activity for exercise but you know, if again, if it's a crisis of energy, then you probably want to sleep more. You probably want to rest more. You're prioritizing sleep or, you know, couch surfing over exercise. And you probably have increased cravings for pizza, for sweets, for, for highly fatty things, for highly sweet things, for salty things. Um, and so, I mean, we just know that's true based on a preponderance of, of scientific, uh, research that, that when you're stressed, you're much more likely to eat highly palatable foods, you know, fatty foods, sugary foods. Um, your, your brain is just more sensitive to them. So if I put, put in front of you a bunch of grapes and carrots, and then I put right next to to that, you know, cookies and brownies, if you're highly stressed, you're much more likely to choose the cookies and the brownies than you are. The, the carrots the grapes unless unless you make a cookie look like a carrot <laughs> <laughs> or there's a variety of ways you could do it one time i had i had a roommate who would always raid the refrigerator and eat all my food mm-hmm. this is back when i lived in milwaukee a long time ago and just a weird side story the only way i was able to get him from eating my food was to put green food coloring on it to make it look healthy? No, to make it look disgusting. Oh, not like, like healthy, like, like lettuce? Or... Like moldy. Oh, I see. Yeah, that would do it. So if you had a brownie, but you had some green food coloring on it, it looked like it could be a little bit more. So that's <laughs> one way. Of, and it worked. It worked every single He never ate my food ever again. That's but, like food reverse psychology. I guess so. <laughs> but but normally, yeah. you you you're, I mean, we're more likely, even under the best of times, right? Even if you're like completely carefree and you're not stressed, you're, you are more likely to choose the brownie over the carrots and the grapes right sure uh, but when you're highly highly stressed there's something that changes in your brain 
to make you make it much more likely that you're going to choose the brownies over over the uh, the carrots and the grapes and and i guess one thing that we could take from this is that um, there are ways to exert self-control. I mean, we know people do that, right? There are people, who, we know these people, right? You know people who will always choose the grapes and the carrots and they will not choose the brownie. Uh, they can control their impulses, but there's something really special about those people. Is that discipline? I don't know. Is it discipline? I mean, first of all, they probably have some sort of goal. Sure. Right? Sure. Absolutely. You know, you know um, yeah. I'm just I'm, I'm imagining your mom for some reason. Oh yeah, <laughs> because she seems to be have like amazing self discipline and self control, and I imagine that she would always choose the. the What's the up, groups. mom? <laughs> choose Mom's the, a, a true listener. Okay, from day one. I don't know her personally, but I know who she is uh, from my years at the gym. But um, so some people do have better well, impulse control. Sure. Yeah. So they 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 can control their impulses better. Uh, you know, I'm just using her as an example again. Maybe she has the impulse, you know, the impulse to, to eat the brownie, but for some reason she's able to stop that either through through something like a goal, perhaps. Right. You know. So whatever the motivation is. Whatever the motivation is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think. Um, I think fundamentally, discipline and control uh, would, would be the precursor to you know not choosing quote unquote the brownie over the carrot. However, as my knowledge has expanded, especially uh, over the past um, decade, and, and I don't believe there is one best diet. I don't believe that. I believe the best diet is the one that works for the individual, mm-hmm. right? Uh, let's say keto works best for you. I don't recommend keto. However, if that's what works for you, fantastic. And paleo is what works for me, fantastic. However, the measuring of the calories has really morphed over the years to this concept of um, just basically intaking the proper macronutrients and, and less of a focus on the exact food source for very active individuals, which I've worked with. Your patient and my patient, quote unquote, are going to be very different demographics. However, I think there could be a little bit of bleed over from the understanding of like, quote unquote, if it fits your macros in the sense that you can still eat the brownie. You just have to know the macronutrients and calories to the size of the brownie you're eating. For instance, you're at the gas station, right? And you see the brownie on the counter by the checkout, right? And it has a barcode on it. You can scan that barcode and those macros like that five grams of protein, that 25 grams of carbs and 10 grams of fat, just subtract from your overall calories for the day. I know I'm kind of digressing and and feel free to contradict me, but with the athletic individual that my companies work with or have worked with in the past, the overall measuring of calories and macros, allowing the individual to have some if they so choose. Just being conscious of the overall calorie mark for the day being the most important aspect has always really, really worked when it comes to eliminating, say, binge eating of, you know, the whole tray of fucking brownies. I think key here, important here is, you know, a lot of people just are not empowered with that information. They, they don't even, you know, so they don't even know to, uh, to scan the barcode and how, how would you evaluate that? What does that mean? You know, 10 grams of, 
of carbohydrates or 20 grams of carbohydrates what is you know 10 grams of fat what is that you know a lot of people aren't empowered with that information that's really really unfortunate i think in the case of that brownie it's probably going to be more like 30 grams of fat and like of course and, and more and more butter two, two, more and more fat two grams of protein and like but I kind of use a similar approach you know from the macronutrient standpoint you know i've tried to i try to prioritize my protein and my servings of fruits and vegetables you know and so i find like when I focus on just a few things, uh, getting my protein and my quality protein in, getting my servings of fruits and vegetables, then typically there's less room for all of the bad stuff, mm-hmm. you know. So you can you can practice uh, an approach where you're you know you're either trying to avoid something like you're trying to avoid fat, or maybe you're 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 practicing an approach of well you're approaching something you're approaching you know you're trying to get in your protein you're trying to get in your fruits and vegetables uh of course in, in reality it's a, it's a mixture of all these things but sure. um i think nonetheless you know there's there's our goals there's there's planning there's there's uh there's goals um there's educating yourself but then there's this whole idea of just again things that you want yes and uh managing your wants because we're con- we're constantly like bombarded by things that we want. And some people are man, uh, manage their wants or their desires better than other people. So in the case of like the carrots and the and the the grapes versus the brownies, you know, if they're both in front of you, well may, maybe one strategy is well you just remove the brownies. <laughs> Yeah. You know, out of sight, out of mind. So then maybe you don't want, right. So you don't want them anymore. You know, mm-hmm. if you're going to the, you know, maybe you avoid this, that approach works for me. They're both yeah. out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. <laughs> you try to avoid the convenience stores where it's like, there's like candy and, and brownies like all over. I mean, it's, sometimes it's hard to avoid these places, but the intriguing part is if I want something, I'll go to the convenience store and have one serving rather than going to the grocery store and having a box of cookies. Okay. You see, not that it really matters what works for me, but if I'm going to have a treat, it's going to be a single serving or maybe two servings of such controlling myself by only buying that much mm-hmm. rather than bringing the box of Oreos in and taking out the whole fucking thing, which I've been known to do in my earlier years yeah i mean single serving sweets is much more manageable like the bag of chocolates where each chocolate is is individually wrapped and then you can just eat like one right right right. Right? as opposed to the bag of oreos where you open it up and there's all of them right and it's so easy to overeat them so uh yeah i've used a i use a similar approach so going back to to like uh movement as a want Mm -hmm. how would you shift your patient's thought process to becoming movement as a want for them let's say that they're not wanting to move exercise specifically when you're working with a patient how do you uh get that to come how do you bring that out of them right um well typically we want things that we like yep so helping people to to like to move, to like to be active, to like to exercise. And actually there's, there's all these terms are kind of loaded, right? I mean, just the word exercise, people could instantly think, you know, ugh, 
exercise. I, I don't like to exercise. Well, maybe they, they don't like to exercise, but like they like to move. They like to be active. Maybe I could sort of reframe the question, you know, to help them to realize that they actually do like to move. So fundamental reframing in psychology. Right. They okay. just, they don't like to exercise because right. this word exercise means like they're conjuring back these ideas of being in a gym when they were a kid in junior high school. They didn't like that. Uh, exercise wasn't fun. It was too competitive. Uh, there's too much judgment. There's too much pressure, you know? So I, I try to reframe it for them to, to, to think more about physical activity first yeah. mm-hmm. and just enjoying the movement. Okay. Right, right. Uh, I mean, what's the, the activity that most people, the majority of people enjoy to start off with is walking. So if I have to start with a walking program, uh, I'm going to start with a walking program. And I'm going to try to make it as easy for them as possible and as enjoyable for them as possible so that they can they can learn to to like movement. And then if they're going to like it, they're going to want more of it, at least theoretically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you basically reframe it from from unmotivated to understanding that their primary like or wants might be walking and kind of step them from there. If that if that's Mm -hmm. what I'm gathering, is there like an additional point to where you get them? moving and walking to exercise specifically like say gym exercise yeah so it's it's almost like exposing people to exposure it's like an exposure to to physical activity and to movement um like in the in the the surgical process they start with early ambulation they start with with just walking through the hospital then the next day they're home they're just being lightly active at home then they start with 10 minutes of walking in the morning they start with 10 minutes of walking in the afternoon if they feel really good they could do all 20 minutes at the same time um they if they they don't enjoy walking outside they can just march in place we get so giving people options giving people choices Mm -hmm. so you know maybe the context they don't like walking outside people tell me i don't feel safe outside or it's too cold outside or it's raining okay well can you even just march in place while you're watching television you know because then maybe it's more enjoyable maybe that's a nice rebuttal so you know you can't really say no to that Right. Well, so we we basically make it so that they can't say no. <laughs> yeah. They can't say no to the exercise. Right. And then a lot of a lot of people will say, well, you know, is that really exercise? Is marching in place exercise? Is walking exercise? Well, I mean, it, this is technically exercise. Sure. I mean, I'm exercising my finger right, right. now. Right. I mean, is it very good exercise? No. I mean, it might be good for my finger. It's not right. whole body exercise. It's not burning a lot of calories. Right. But I, you know, so I'm just trying to help people to rethink like exercise. They don't have to. They don't have to go to the gym and do this grueling workout that hurts. Right. You know, a lot of people associate exercise with with hurt. No, no pain, no gain. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, it doesn't have to hurt. No, it does not. It can be. It can be enjoyable. You can do things that you like, um, that you prefer to do that, and then you'll. If you do that, you're going to want more of it. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, to kind of piggyback off that, uh, in a much different perspective, as the as a gym owner, I would actually preach that you don't have to come to the gym to exercise. Walk outside run outside, hike outside, bike outside. Mm-hmm. I would, I'm, I'm a big, I'm not big, but I'm a recreational paddle boarder, paddle board, wakeboard, canoe, kayak, anything. The body requires motion. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily have to hurt yourself in the gym to progress. However, doing something, in my opinion, 
in life, let alone exercise, is always better than nothing. Much like you saying march in place if you can't walk outside. Something is better than nothing, especially when it comes to movement for the body. Yeah. Um, if, if your goal is fitness, you want to get as fit as possible, well, it's going to hurt. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Um, but if your goal is simply to get healthy exercise and get healthy physical activity and it doesn't necessarily have to hurt, I mean, you, you can build your stress tolerance to the point where you can do more challenging. Right exercise. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can prepare your body for more challenging exercise and that that's going to hurt. Uh, but hopefully th- throughout that process, you're mentally able to, to meet that challenge. Right. Right. Um, some people know some people th- they can't, but, um, you know, for my patients who have really bad knee problems or really bad hip problems, you know, almost any type of lower body exercise really hurts them. Um, so I try to find machines that are going to minimize the, uh, the pain for them and maximize the pleasure, like something like a Cyfit at planet fitness or a new step machine or an upper armagometry or swimming or something like that. So we try to, to choose the, the right modality, the right, uh, exercise mode for them so that they can Which actually enjoy Right. Not only for recovery, but in life, figuring out what's best for you and exercise wise and, and performing. Right. Yeah, it's very well said. Okay, so Matt, remember, there's also the other individual, okay? Mm-hmm. And when I say other indiv- individual, let's say 26-year-old Chris Warns. Right. That you met as a personal trainer that was many things. However, one thing that he was, was the guy that went to the gym Six to seven, if not eight days a week, somehow. Right. I remember. He, he consulted with Jeff Bezos on how to get that eighth day okay. in, in the week. Because <laughs> right. I don't know if you guys know that, but Jeff Bezos has like a 10-day week. Okay. Uh, All right. Completely kidding. Um, anyways, the guy that's like overly addicted to the gym and just like, you know, flexes in the mirror and like pulling his shirt up to look at his abs and doing like the quad shake looking at like the separation of the quads and so on right. and so forth what would you say when it comes to that guy is he or she overly addicted to exercise or the thought of exercise or yeah, yeah um, educate us well i and no. use me use me okay so i'd see you at 26 i knew you then at that time and i'd say okay this guy this guy must like exercise uh he must like fitness he wants exercise he wants fitness so you have like a, a, an optimal like motivational profile however there is a certain point where you can cross the line and you you can become addicted to, to fitness addicted to exercise and when we think about addiction we think in terms of of someone who wants it really really bad addicted to the gains there you go they're addicted to the gains they want it they want it they want it but they get to a point where they're working so hard they're enduring so much pain it's so grueling they don't even necessarily like it anymore Uh. okay so um it's it's really it's the person who's just pushing through it they're pushing through it day after day after day they don't take any recovery time they're in the gym every single day and after a while, uh, like you said, you said uh, uh, some time ago, you just sort of 
you know, you scratch your head and you ask yourself, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep enduring all of this, this grueling pain and this work and depriving myself of calories? And like, you know, I sure I get to, to look at myself in the mirror and look really good and other people admire me, but what does that really get me? Okay. So Mm -hmm. you're faced with that question. So in other words, the, the addiction could eventually learn, lead to burnout. Mm-hmm. you know, a state of, of overtraining and just total burnout. And then burnout is essentially just a, 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 a catastrophic motivational loss. Sure. Right. And we've all been there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I've, uh, I've been classically burnout twice in my life where I would just worked out so hard that I just couldn't even do it anymore. I wanted it, but I didn't like it. Right. In fact, uh, it was more than just not liking it. It was actively disliking it. Mm-hmm. You know, disliking going to the gym all, you know, all of a sudden. I think we spoke at that point. You know, maybe. Yeah. You know, so uh, I knew you, you know, several years ago when I was going through one of these periods when uh, I wanted it, but I didn't like it. And I got to the point where I actually disliked it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I had an aversion to it. You know, sure. I had an aversion to go. And so then you, you, you face the, the choice of just not going anymore, just not doing it anymore and let, just letting yourself completely go. So there has to be this balance. Right. Um, you know, it's great if you want fitness, if you want to exercise, but if you want it too much, you could want it too much, right? Yeah. There's, there's a certain point. Absolutely. Um, and the fitness enthusiasts typically face that. Yeah. Um, and they have to make some, some choices. Yep. Like, do they taper back to their training? Do they cut down their, their days at the gym? Do they include more recovery time? Do they start cross-training and doing other types of exercise? That was always my answer. Right. Uh, do you start, Switch the modality. Switch the modality. Do you start working out outdoors more? Um, do you join a, a new fitness club or start working out with a fitness buddy? Or you have, you have to do something to switch it up. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking off, my history is, you know, my mother, she taught me how to work out when I was 12 years old. Mm-hmm. So I've been working out with weights for 24 years. Mm-hmm. So at this point, it's very monotonous and mundane to me just to go into the gym and work out. So I like to incorporate lots of different styles. And over the years, I I, I, I threw mixed martial arts in and jujitsu in, which was really fun. And then I got addicted to that and I started competing and then I was ranked top in the world. And then I was like, Okay, I'm done. I need something else, you know? Yep. And, and and then I started paddleboarding and running and trail running and so on and so forth. So as you're sitting here describing who I was, I very well might actually still be that person to a degree. And it's good to be able to be in the, the student chair and learn because after 24 years of exercising, it's safe to say I have a good understanding of it considering I went to school for exercise science and nutrition at one point. And being a lifetime practitioner, being able to help and educate others. However, I think really balance is what it comes down to. A proper balanced diet, a proper balanced exercise routine and self-care routine when it comes not only to the physical self-care of stretching, foam rolling, resting, maybe hot tubbing or ice bathing, depending on how you look at it, but also internal self-care when it comes to your mind, you know, body and soul. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the important thing is to maintain your habit of exercise, 
you know, so um, too many people just completely give it up. And then, you know, I hear this from my patients, you know, I was an avid exerciser 10 years ago and then I just stopped. So maintaining your healthy habits, somehow giving yourself a break as well and, and just completely switching it up. You know, I'm able to enjoy the gym more because now I do outdoor workouts. Mm hmm. You know, every Thursday and Sunday I do outdoor workouts nice. and I find that I enjoy my gym time much more because you're in the gym less because I'm in the gym less. Yeah. So sometimes you have to do something less in order to, to enjoy it more. Agreed. Right. Uh, that definitely goes for the gym there. I think there are times when I go to a gym as well that you just need to have sort of like open time or sort of like play time when you just go into the gym and you follow your impulses in the gym. You know, yeah. if you see if you see the stretching area and that looks good and looks interesting to you and relaxing, you go do that. Yeah. And then you know, and then maybe you you do something completely different. You you you're interested in uh, in the bench press all of a sudden, and you go do that. But you're allowing yourself to follow your impulses in the gym and just sort of be open with your workout experience, uh, because a lot of us have such structured workouts. I train the way that you're describing. I okay. just flow. You just flow. Yeah. Okay, so you don't have an overly regimented uh, workout. Okay, well, yeah. So, I mean, overly reg regimented workouts can help you to achieve fitness gains quickly, but it may not be sustainable for years. Sure. <laughs> right? So what I do in my case is I change my rep range every week. So this week I'm focusing on... Um, a nine RM for most of my sets, whereas mm -hmm. I'm reaching failure at the ninth repetition. Mm -hmm. Next week will That's be relatively heavy. Re so pretty, yeah. yeah. I mean, pretty high volume, pretty yeah. high training volume. And then the next week is going to be a ten. The week after that, it'll be eleven, then a twelve. But then I'm going to suddenly drop all the way down to a two or three. Yeah, almost like a reverse deload. Right, and it really shocks my body, but it gives me just enough variation week to week, and then over a, a three or four month cycle that I can maintain my interest. And you don't and get it, stagnant. And I don't get too stagnant. Smart. So I maintain, I keep the wants. I it's keep like you're a scientist or something. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want me to call him doctor, however we could. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm a PhD, and... Um, but uh, you need very you need variation. Sure. The human mind, the human body needs variation in order to maintain interest. In order, to, you know, you uh, a lot of problems with our our bariatric patients is that their their diet plans get so overly regimented, they just they get sick of their diet plan. It's 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 a perfect diet plan, but they they find that they're really struggling because of just the intense monotony. I and mean, that's just inherent to bariatric surgery. Unfortunately, there's a lot of monotony in the diet. Um, it's unbearable for some people. Some people can tolerate it, but in, in, in general, yes, the human body, the human mind likes variation. So finding the variation, finding, finding the variation, but yet maintaining the healthy habits that will, will, uh, lead you to a healthy uh, life. Yes. Yeah. And that's the key. Right. And that's why a lot of people find professionals to work with, to help teach them that. Right. Whether the it's a personal trainer or a physical therapist or a chiropractor or a scientist at Yale or mm -hmm. whatever, nutritionist, right. it's a matter of just um, facilitating education. Yeah, and doing a lot of the hard work for you and right. uh, you know with the planning. Yeah, I think uh, I learned a lot today. Did you learn anything? You know, I learned a lot more about you. You did. Yes. Oh. Good. Well, I think that's always a good thing. Yeah. Uh, there's so many layers to me. Um, it's just another chapter in the book or different chapter in the book, depending on how you look at it. And I learned a lot today. I hope everyone listening learned a, learned a lot today, especially when it comes to the fundamentals of getting the body to move. Um, coming from the, the 
the lens of focus of maybe having a little bit of difficulty moving or mm-hmm. finding that motivation. Uh, I believe that we, we covered a, a wide variety of um, lens of focuses and topics here. And, you know, Matt, if you would be so honorable to leave everyone with maybe a few words to sum up today's show and help them get, or I should say, help them find the motivation to get the body moving with exercise, what would you say? Yeah. um, Well, we all know about all the benefits of exercise and movement and how important it is for your mental health and for your physical health. We all know that, but allowing you yourself to experience that. We live in stressful times. You can use your your exercise break to de-stress, to make your life more fun, to make it more pleasurable. Uh, to make your life more meaningful and purposeful, to give you a healthier life. I think part of the problem that people have right now is just all of the stress that they're living under right now. They're bombarded with other choices as well, YouTube and the the grocery store and television and so on and so forth. Decluttering your life, decluttering, decluttering your mind, maybe decluttering your social media. Um, allow your, yourself to experience these natural desires or wants for movement. Um, listening to these desires and wants, taking action, being active when you, you're most likely to want to be active is also important. So if your energy, your energy level, so if your energy levels is really good during the afternoon around, you know, three o'clock, then you take advantage of that to get your exercise routine in, to, to, to get your physical activity and don't prioritize that for other things, you know? So when you have good energy, when you feel good, uh, you're much more likely to move, take advantage of those times to move. Yes. Mine is 7am. 7am. Yeah. For me. Not for me. No, not for you. No, it's like 4pm. 4pm. Right. Yeah. Well, I uh, thank you for those words and, um, and thank you for being here and thank you Mm -hmm. for everything that you offered. I think, uh, it's definitely an excellent, uh, lens of focus, definitely excellent perspective. And, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show and and helping. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, man. I think, of course. Uh, and, um, I wish you all the best with your journey and your research and, and helping people. Thank you. And same to you. Uh, good luck with your business and with the show. And uh, can't wait to listen to 106, 107, 108, 109. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. All the good ones. Yep. All right, dude. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, guys. That was our show. Big, big shout out to Matt. We appreciate you, dude. Thank you for stopping by. I hope everyone got uh, some sort of perspective. This was very educational for me. Uh, again, I hope it was educational for you. Uh, as always, I just want to extend my my gratitude for all of you guys listening, supporting, sharing, commenting, and reviewing us on iTunes. I appreciate you guys. I, I again apologize for being gone for ooh, about two weeks. And uh, we're, we're here. We got some fresh ideas, some fresh content. And um we appreciate you. If you have any feedback on anything you want to hear, you know, drop us an email or a DM and we will absolutely incorporate it. So on that note, kick ass guys, keep working hard and uh, fucking work harder. Can I kick it? Yes, you can. Well, I'm born. Can I kick it? To my tribe that flows in layers. Right now, Fife is a point sayer. At times, I'm a studio conveyor. Mr. Dinkins, would you please be my mayor? You'll be doing us a really big favor. 
Boy, this track really has a lot of flavor. When it comes to Rhythm's Quest, is your savior. Follow us for the funky behavior. Make a note on the rhythm we gave you. Feel free, drop your pants, yank your hair. Do you like the garments that we wear? I instruct you to be the obeyer. A rhythm recipe that you'll savor. Doesn't matter if you're minor or